Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Betches Media presents Ha Ha Laugh Funny Mention It All A Bravo by Betches Podcast We don't say that but now we said it With Dylan Hafer Hold on track me bro And Barry Rosenfeld I need to start drinking alcohol Now go to sleep we Hey everyone Welcome back to the Mention It All Podcast I'm Dylan Hafer And I'm Barry Rosenfeld Um we have a really fun episode today. We have an exciting interview with Doran Demedley, whose book comes out today. It's out now. You can order it wherever books are sold. But you we can start- read it today. You can read it. We've read it. It's a it's a whole bunch of fun. Um, but yeah, we got to talk to her about, you know, stuff, some stories she tells in her book, her whole process of you know, not being on Real Housewives <laughs> anymore. Dorinda is just like a lovely, she's just a lovely person to chat with, she, really. Yes, she was very different. You can tell this pause of Roni has helped her and lightened her. But there is one thing she didn't tell us, which I was very annoyed about, which we found out on the news, is that oh, she, her... She's doing All-Stars? No, well, oh. that, and that the manor is on Airbnb, and... Oh we wanted God. to be the first to stay there. I know. Like, okay. So I understand. Like, I don't want to ever like beg for special treatment or anything. Like, I know, like, I'm no better than anyone else. No. But, like, I would love, like, a, I would love, like, a free night at Bluestone Manor or, like, a two night stay. N- not even a night. Like, I would love to go hang by the pool and have lunch with Dorinda. Like, that's it. That is, that is true. Like, honestly, I, yeah, I think you're right. Like, Staying there sounds like it's like a fun idea, but I would rather just like go hang out with Dorinda for an afternoon. Correct. Which we probably could just do like in Manhattan instead. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I've like, I've met Dorinda. Like she's a nice person, but like the Bluestone Manor experience is definitely something different. Like I want her to, I want her to like show me around Great Barrington. Like Mm -hmm. I want to like, I feel like walking down like Main Street with her would just be like really cute, like a cute little vibe. I wonder how much more expensive it is to stay at Blue Snow Manor during Christmas time because that includes all of Dorinda's decorations. Okay, to be fair, when that announcement was made about the Airbnb, I think they said it was for like two weekends in August. So like, <laughs> I don't think she's just like, I don't think she's just like fully renting out her home at this point. I think it's like kind of a novelty thing. But you know, all right, that could be very lucrative for her. So you never know, but I feel like she's going to be there during Christmas. So she probably That's will. true. My, you're, you're like literally right. Like Dorinda's imagine Dorinda's like, you know what? I'm going to take this year off for whatever, but yes. <laughs> like Ramona, somebody saw that Ramona's Hamptons house. She was renting out for like a full month or something. And that just sounds crazy. Like this might be a, the mo- like a very obnoxious statement for me to say, but if I had the opportunity to stay there for free, I would not. <laughs> the vibes are not great. Like I would feel no. 
I would feel like uneasy about staying in Ramona's house, whereas Bluestone Manor, I feel like I would have the best night's sleep of my life. (laughs) Yes, but yeah. So the the interview with Dorinda is great. A little little later on, but first we got to talk about Roni (laughs) somewhat. Unfortunately, we're going to talk about Below Deck Med a little bit too. I I think I can speak for you and mm-hmm. generally everyone I've come into contact with when I said when I say that I was not excited to go back to this Shabbat dinner on tonight's episode. Um I felt like I had enough last week. And so I was I was a little distressed when there was a to be continued. And let's just say things did not get better in the part I don't, that we saw I couldn't believe today. how much worse it got. Like, I, I couldn't. Okay. So, like, first of all, I mean, there are multiple issues here. But Ramona's just, like, entire lack of social consciousness when she's at an event like this. When you know she goes to events all the time. Yeah. The fact that she's just, like, in the kitchen like mouthing off to the chef or the caterer and like eating off a plate in the kit. It just is like wild to me to watch, to watch someone like her who first of all is old enough to know better. Second of all has been, you know, at events and dinners and things, you know, her entire adult life. It's like, get a fucking grip. What is wrong with you? The whole time I was watching it, I kept going through, my own thoughts. And I was like, they have to like, this is bad. There's, this is bad. Like to me, this is like rock bottom for the show. Like that's her behavior is affecting now everyone else to the point where the women at dinners, like like Luann was like speechless. She, they, the women, the fact they had to have talks with her the next day and she still didn't understand was this was the worst I've ever seen. And I saw someone post yesterday on Instagram, one of our Bravo accounts, I I forgot which one, was like, her behavior is so like atrocious. Honestly, I think they were like done watching the show, but they were like, all the other women are affected by it. And we're done saying like, oh, it's just Ramona. It's just Ramona. Oh, it's just Ramona. It's not anymore. Now it's like really like bad. And well, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there is like a gray area where it's like, oh, like that's how Ramona is. Like she, you know, she says the wrong thing. She puts her foot in her mouth. Like there is a time and a place for that where it can be entertaining and it can be like, oh, I'm rolling my eyes at Ramona, but like she's good TV. But this is like so far past over the line where it's like, first of all, she's being extremely rude to Archie, who's hosting this dinner. You know, she literally gets up and ubers home before the event's even over but then she's also being like wildly inconsiderate to the black people at this black shabbat dinner this woman is sharing her story of how she experienced racism in medical care which is like a widespread issue in our country like that's like a known thing that has been documented and written about and you know it's not nobody is making that up and Ramona, like, can't even just take that at face value. She has to come back with this story about how when I was giving birth to my daughter, I was in so much pain and this black nurse wouldn't give me my painkillers. And it's like, what on earth makes you think that that is, like, an acceptable thing to say, let alone, like, it's one thing to to tell that story in any context. Like, you still sound, like, ridiculous. But to say it when this woman was just telling you Mm -hmm. that she was experiencing racism, it's like, shut the fuck up. I don't, oh my God, I'm so annoyed. 
that story was that was that was bad when she said that exactly. There's nothing much to add on to that, except for the fact that they just sat there almost and they were like, what are we supposed to respond to your stories? I don't understand. They were there like the guests there were just as confused as the viewers where everyone is like, what? How do we respond? But so she's eating because she, you know, is starving because nobody else is. And she tries to make an excuse for that. And then when she's Uber's home, she's tired because, you know, no one else is. And it's like, oh, my oh my God, I couldn't even believe it. Like, I, I just really can't. And to the fact that the only lesson she learned from this, the only lesson is that she'll never drink again on an empty stomach. Yeah, I, I was loved like, when lot. yeah, I no. loved when she was like, I was tired. It was late. And she's like, it was 9 p.m. You go out dancing all the time. And Ramona said. Well, not in the last week. It's like, yeah, it's a pandemic. Nobody's going out dancing, Ramona. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, okay. And then we have to talk about Sonia's behavior at this event because as much yeah. as I as much as I think Sonia has, you know, been on the right side of history for a lot of this season, she's much less problematic than Ramona pretty much every episode. Yeah. But the way she exploded at the table, she gets this, some, they're doing some question game. She's talking about her philanthropy and, you know, taking her time with her explanation. And then all of a sudden it's like a switch flips and she is not talking about herself anymore, but she's just like laying into Ramona and talking about how she's insincere and she doesn't do the work and blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing, just yelling and screaming. And it was so, it was like, I was like watching, like I, like covering my face with my hands because I was like embarrassed for Sonia because it's like, what are you doing? Where is this coming from? Like reel it, reel it in. Come on. The the issue is the things she was saying were true. It was just, I wish it wasn't within that reaction. Wrong so, time, wrong yes. place, wrong delivery. Like, yes. Yeah, but like she, it makes her point. It's when you're making a valid point, it, it the point loses all its worth if you don't make it in the right way. And it's like, yeah, she oh, no, was like, screaming to the point where like you're it was coming. It was something else was there. Like it was almost when she flipped out a few weeks ago about um the banks, it, like the banks. Yeah. The Wells Fargo. I liked that the next day we had to have two separate little like slap on the wrist conversations like Luann goes to Ramona's and is telling her that she was rude, which I actually, I appreciated that Luann took that on and that it wasn't like Ebony had to go explain to Ramona why she was rude. Right. But then Ramona even was like bringing it back to Luann and had it go with her drinking. Luann was like, no, 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 no. This is you. Right. Like Luann say what you want about Luann. She has, you know, done her own problematic stuff She's not certainly not perfect. And she knows that, but it's like in this situation, we're talking about your behavior from last night. We're not talking about like what I did three years ago. That was also bad. Yeah. I wish I wish. Well, no, no, no. I'm glad a little part of me is that the fact that Leah wasn't at Shabbat because just for, because she would have like put Ramona in her place or she would have been so embarrassed. She would have left, but I am glad for everyone. I don't know. I almost wish she was there and I'm glad she wasn't there. I don't, I don't know where I sit with that. I know what you mean because like a small part of me is concerned that Leah would have like punched Ramona at that, (laughs) (laughs) which I don't think would have been 
Um, the worst. <laughs> it, it would have been satisfying, but I don't think it would have been in anyone's best interests. <laughs> um, but yeah. no, it's like, it is, it's just, it's so rough. And, you know, we see Ebony go to the townhouse and Sonia, I think is a lot more kind of understanding about, you know, she, she knows that it wasn't like cool of her to scream like that at the table. Calling all my honeys. Support for today's episode comes from Honey Love. Whether you're a bride, a wedding guest, or simply seeking everyday smoothing, Honey Love is the go-to for all things shapewear. Honey Love has revolutionized compression technology, so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating while wearing effective shapewear. For a limited time, you can get Honey Love on sale. Get 20% off your entire order with our exclusive link, honeylove.com MIA. Support our show and check them out at honeylove.com forward slash MIA. When talking about shapewear, Honey Love's best-selling superpower short is the go-to. It has targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas you want more support and areas where you need less compression. Their Signature X targets and sculpts your midsection without squeezing your natural curves. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. The superpower short is helping ladies everywhere sculpt and smooth from stomach to thigh by offering just the perfect amount of compression. You won't have to worry about it rolling down, which is unheard of in shapewear, thanks to flexible boning that's hidden in the side seams. This piece is also a booty lifter. Boost bands on the back and thigh give your bottom an amazing shape. Treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com MIA. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com MIA. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Move with confidence. Thanks to Honey Love. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. I don't necessarily buy Ramona's whole thing of that, you know, Sonia's going to hit rock bottom and I'm so worried about her and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't buy that, but I do, I do think that Sonia's behavior at times is a little troubling. And the fact that she can just explode like that in a situation where she's around strangers and she's being hosted in a stranger's house. It's like, it's one thing to do that when it's like a group trip and it's just the five of you and whatever, but like, you're you're in mixed company right now. Like, that's not oh. normal. Yeah, poor Archie. Like, when's the next time she's gonna host the Shabbat dinner? <laughs> she's probably like, I'm oh, she's, good. She's now. still busy hosing Sonia's pee off of her driveway. Like, she Ebony was like, so I just want to tell you, like, Sonia Ebony, um, Archie called me last night. Like, did you? Sonia was like, yeah, you know, yeah, I definitely peed. I've done that before. Yeah. Like, she had, <laughs> and, and no when they did qualms. the flashback, like I thought, like it was she just you know went to the corner or whatever. She was peeing standing up, like behind the bus, like not in the corner, not on the grass. Like she was just peeing. Great. We've all, I can, I hope I can, buy, yeah, I've peed drunk before outside, but not, I haven't done that. That was well, like. They were literally like in the driveway of a home yeah. that they could have gone to the bathroom in. And she's like, Louis, I would have left. It's like, oh, okay, fine. No, like, Sonia, no one would have loved you there. But yeah, she was more. 
I know I'm like at a loss words too with what she was understanding, accepting more, not putting the blame on other people. So uh, oh God, this season is I'm, I'm so, I, I didn't think it was bad. I had hopes for it, but now it's gone. Like it's gone. I don't, well, I, I think don't know where we're going to go. There from are, here. It's hard because I think like. <laughs> we can't come up with things to say. If there it's were so like bad. certain, you know, combinations, like I think if the, if we had scenes of like Ebony and Sonia and Leah hanging out and just kind of like doing normal stuff, I think I would still enjoy that. But it's hard just because we haven't gotten very much of the kind of like day to day. Yeah. Yes. Life. Right. So Ebony, Luann and Ramona had dinner with some women from Fortune Society. And like, I didn't think it was it wasn't the worst that it could have, to be honest. It was like an an intimate dinner. They were telling Mm -hmm. stories. Ramona seemed a little bit more open to like hearing and their experiences. I think this this is the kind of situation where it's like the more understandable kind of like Ramona might not always say the right thing, but she doesn't mean badly. And I think this is more of that thing where like, she might ask a couple questions that are a little tone deaf, but at least she's not like screaming about, you know, why does it have to be black Shabbat? Um, But yeah, I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. I always think it's, you know, interesting to hear people's stories like that. It is the, those issues are really real. And, you know, the, I do like that Luann has stuck with that cause that she's been, you know, we've seen her working with fortune society for, Mm -hmm. I don't know, two or three seasons now. And so it's honestly like whenever these women bring a cause onto the show, it's nice to know that it's not always just like, let me do something that looks good on camera, or at least I, I hope not because Luann clearly has stayed involved with them, which is, that's nice. Well, and that's also partially what Sonia was screaming about it the night before at dinner was that she was comparing like Ramona being a social climber to her, like having a foundation, but I don't, it, yeah, that was very confusing. But anyway, but I loved during that dinner too, where Luann was like Ramona, like kind of trying to put her in check throughout it. And she kept being uh-huh. like, and then in her confessional, when she was like, where is that? like thing everyone else was born with like that button to turn off, like where Ramona knows what to say and what not to say, like what is wrong with her? But uh, yeah, these, these freaking women, I can't, yeah, but in better, just... in better news with Ebony, she got some good news this episode. And I'm glad we ended on like a high note where the she... one, the one <laughs> high note we could find in this episode, the one where she, potentially found her father out of three brothers, but they're like almost positive that it's him. I don't, it that's seems, as far as we I got. Mean, <laughs> I don't know anything about genealogy, but this woman seems pretty confident. So yes. I hope that the next steps of like trying to make contact and stuff are, you know, positive. Cause you never know yeah. how that's going to go. Like if it's the, the one that they think it is, it's like the married guy with two kids. Like he might not, you know, you yeah. don't know if he's going to be in the position to receive that information, but hopefully I hope, I hope we can see a resolution of that. Totally. I don't know. We have to be getting close to the finale. It's been 15 I hope episodes, so. but I they still haven't filmed the reunion. Oh my God. Let's manifest that quickly. Hopefully yeah, do, do it, do it, do it. Today. 
Get it. <laughs> oh, no. Ramona's still in Aspen, honey. She's not coming back anytime soon. Maybe um, she was invited to the reunion. I don't know. We got to talk about oh Below my Deck God. Med. <laughs> okay. We're going to talk about Below Deck Med quickly. I think we just have like a couple main points that we want to touch on. Yes. Um, first of all, Captain Sandy, love her or don't love her. Don't. Her, um, her little micromanaging streak is coming back out. We haven't seen too much of it this season. I feel like, I feel like to start off this season, both Malia and Sandy were kind of on their best behavior in terms of like to the audience because they weren't exactly fan favorites after last season. And I feel like as we're in, we're probably like halfway through the season Malia has been able to really keep it up. I feel like Malia has kind of redeemed herself mm-hmm. and Sandy is like falling right back into her bullshit. Yeah. Like she, she just finds this one thing to latch onto and it happens. She was, it, this is what I saw as a, as a viewer, she was very bored. She had nothing to do. We were, we were in st- anchored. The toys were out, which we know she's obsessed with the toys. Malia knows what she's doing at this point. She is mm-hmm. she is a great bosun. And I think Sandy is just always scared, whoever it is, to give whoever is in the top uh, position all of the responsibility. So she still wants to be the one in charge. And she, like, was running around as if something was, like, terribly wrong and yelling. And Malia was like, we got it. Like, I'm, tr- I'm telling you what the situation... I'm telling you exactly what the situation is to the point where, like... When Malia heard Sandy at that point going down to the engineer and talking more about the slide not being blown up, that's when Malia almost like threw her hands in the air and went to go defend herself, which I was happy about that because I feel like everyone should, depending what the situation is, but you should. So like Sandy's thing has always been that she wants all the toys in the water every day, which fine. Like if that's your base expectation, it is what it is. Malia knows that. And Malia's doing that. The whole problem is that the slide, I guess, like doesn't hold air for that long. Because so, they blew it up at first thing in the morning. So by the time right. it so gets it's like on, if you do the slide at 8 a.m. and then it's just sitting there for six hours before anyone goes on it, like why would you be going every 15 minutes to fill it back up when you know the guests aren't going to use it for four, right. four more hours? And when Sandy's like complaining about it, all the guests are off doing something else. They're like on the jet skis and stuff. So it's like, I feel like you're totally right that Sandy with the boat, with her bosons and with her chief stews, she like can't quite just trust them to Let get the go. job done. Right. And it's like, we always saw it with Hannah with the table decor. She like latched onto it that her whole, there was, it was never quite good enough. And she's done that with chefs too, where it's like, Oh, there's always like one little picky thing. Even if the guests aren't complaining and we haven't really seen her do it with Malia in the past. Like, it seems like she kind of loves Malia and Malia is like the one that she's really like uplifting. And now she's kind of turning her focus to Malia. And it's like, this is like not a problem. Right. And what, and exactly. So what the problem is, is that she's ignoring the fact that Katie is openly telling her and complaining about Lexi, not doing her job and affecting other people but you're more concerned about not the, not enough air being in the slide. Like you got to like kind of see what's important here and what's not like Lexi is just seems to be the type of person to me where any job that she's given, she's not happy with, like she's not happy on service. 
She's not happy in laundry. She's not happy making drink, you know? So it's like, what do you want to do then? We've seen this in the past. What, why are you here? What do you want to do? Do you want to drive the boat? Like what? Right. What's the next step? I would, I feel with Lexi, it's frustrating because on this episode, you know, for this charter, she's put Courtney more on service and she's put Lexi more doing cabins, laundry, whatever. And I feel like Lexi is acting like it's some extraordinary punishment that she is, you know, not on service the whole time, but they literally had just switched last charter. And so I would, I would sort of understand if Lexi had been stuck on laundry the entire season and she was like, I'm the second stew. This is bullshit. Like, why can I not do anything else? But it's like, Katie, I like to me from watching below deck, it seems like Katie is actually doing a good job of being a chief stew by letting her stews get experience at different things and rotating. And the fact that court, like a big part of being chief stew seems to be, and same with Bosun is like, teaching your crew and like giving them opportunities to learn and get better at things. And we see Malia doing that all the time, which is something I think she's actually really good at. And so I feel like Katie giving Courtney the chance to, you know, get better at making drinks and, you know, dinner service and all of that stuff. It's like Lexi just needs to grow up. Like, yeah, I I agree. I like that. Katie does that. I think it's really cool actually, because sometimes also you don't want to be on like if it's a bad charter, for instance, maybe you kind of just want to do laundry and like and the and make the beds and whatever. But she even failed at that. So like she stopped in the middle of doing that. She right. stopped in the middle of breakfast service. And to be honest, I do feel like she is she doesn't like she's kind of over it. You know, I feel like Lexi likes her job and has been good at it. But at this point, her relationship with the crew, like she's just kind of like not wanting to be there. They're all commenting how quiet she is. And I just feel like she's separating herself and kind of giving up a little bit. But yeah, I think there's a difference between being good at your job in the sense that like you can do it well and actually doing it well. Like, I think she has the skills. She could be succeeding, but she's not really putting in the effort. And it's like, it, it kind of looks like she might get fired next episode. It's a little hard to tell. I don't know yeah. exactly. The whole like quarantine crew, whatever thing is c- a confusing layer. I'm like, I don't really know what's I happening. Know. And the way that they ended it almost made it seem, I know this isn't happening, but they wanted you to think that like Katie is the one being fired. Did you get that from, they were like, yes, I, I got that. They wanted us to <laughs> sort of, have that inkling but it's like honestly i think if sandy fired katie at this point there would be like a riot because i feel like everybody likes katie i like katie like i think she's doing a great job and this charter drinks a lot like a lot a lot lot, lot. they finish their drinks before they even like can like go back and make the next one but these are like I don't know. They they're very I feel like when you go on these charters, they let you know that they're like heavy drinkers. Their shirts were that they're a drinker. They like just really, get it ready. They really like Tito's and tea, and which is tea. Oh, that's like gator. It's like drinking I guess, and Gatorade. You shouldn't do that. Did you ever drink um Firefly? So I have it at my parents' house. It's so funny you asked that because they were on this kick of making like, you know, the Arnold Pot that with lemonade. Right. And it is a Jack Daly. Yeah, John Daly. It, John Daly. It, it gives. I don't know. <laughs> it, that has the right amount in it, Dr- right? Because it's, Ar- it's like water. Because it's Arnold Palmer and vodka, right? 
I don't, yeah, you gotta have the flavor. John Daly. I think it's John Daly. That was like my drink of choice in college. <laughs> really? That's like one of my good friends always drank um, twisted teas. And I was like, Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Well, that is going to do it, but don't go anywhere because we have our interview with Dorinda coming up right after this. So enjoy. I love, I love all the stuff you put on Instagram about me. Oh, thank you. Well, everybody loves you. Dorinda, I especially so. love the one when you were crying when I first was put on pause. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's just dive into it. Everyone. We are now joined by the one and only Dorinda Medley author of make it nice, which is available now. Dorinda. Hello and welcome. How are you? Available on Amazon and simonandschuster.com. <laughs> Got to put in all the plugs, right? Yes, we are now yes. in it. It's amazing how like the, this thing just trundles along for months and months. And you don't really think about it. And then it hits like August 1st. Like, oh my God, I got a book coming out. Yeah. We were saying before we got on with you that it, I remember when you announced that you were writing the book and then the release date came out and it's like, that's so far away. And here we are, copies in hand. That's how it always is with everything. I feel that way with Christmas, with dinner parties. I'll be napping away and I'll be like, I got everything set for a dinner party. And then I'll hit four o'clock. And I'm thinking, I'm totally screwed here. Like, I don't have anything done. I feel like my life is now more complete that I'm talking to you. And you just mentioned Christmas. Like, I feel like Dorinda and Christmas go hand in hand. So I'm well, good. I, so- I have <laughs> every year. It's, I have to um, come up with a new theme. So this year I have a really great theme. Okay, well, stay tuned. I'm curious, what are your thoughts? I saw over the weekend, some places have already started putting Halloween decorations out. Is August 1st too early for Halloween? Yes, I think it is. I mean, okay. Gotta get through Labor Day first. You grow bored of of the fear factor. I mean, if I, you know, September 1st, you're like another pumpkin. I mean, I'm just over it. I mean, you know what I mean? I think Christmas is different. Christmas, I do very... I start the day after Thanksgiving because I, I put so much effort into it that I just want to really enjoy it. And I, I keep it right through January 1st. If not I was later. just going to ask you what your, I need to know what your schedule is. And that's exactly how, what I well, agree. This I think week, it should this be year during COVID. I think I kept it up till the end of January. I actually did a campaign because I just <laughs> couldn't bear not coming down and looking at all those lights. It was the only thing keeping me going at yeah. that point in those cold, dark days in January in the Berkshires. Cause I'd never really been in the Berkshires in the January since childhood. Usually I take January and kind of shut down BSM and just, uh, you know, travel. And it's a great time to be in New York. Strangely, New Yorkers do their best in September and January, February, because we like come back from a like thing, we come back from summer. We come back from Christmas. It's a new year. You know what I mean? We're going to now start all over again. So, it was uh, it was long being here January, February. I mean, I love it, but it was definitely uh, a different take on BSM. Well, maybe this January, February will come and keep you company. Okay, at BSM. <laughs> <laughs> so, what'd you think of the book? I'm literally sitting here holding it. I was still. Did I you still really need to tell the truth? I'm. I'm, I'm telling every time we we interview someone who wrote a book. I of course I'm going to read it. I have to have research, but also I'm I'm interested in hearing and seeing the stuff that we don't necessarily see on the show. So I really did enjoy hearing about your life prior to like how we know you. That's the thing that people don't realize. You come on a show and they think that people just know you from the show, but you remember I was. 48 when I came on that show I was you know 
married, divorced, single mom, married, widowed, lived all over the place, you know, so it's, uh, I thought it would be a nice, you know, I think it's, it, it made me sort of a more well-rounded person, I think. And the audience got a little peek into who Dorinda is, you know, off the show. I feel but like I you were so. Some- <laughs> I think the show was pretty good about, you know, showing a lot, a lot of sort of my fun life. And I'm pretty yeah. transparent about my life. <laughs> I think Needless. from the show, it always felt like you had enough of a story that a book would make sense. What made you decide that now was the right time to sit down and do it? Well, I think it was a couple things. You know, I think, first of all, COVID was such a great time to sit down and do a lot of things, thinking, you know, kind of taking stock of your life. And then, of course, I had this period where I wasn't on The Housewives and um, I, we were very homebound. And Simon & Schuster, strangely, uh, just kind of came, it just kind of happened very quickly. They said, we'd love to write a book with you. I was like, okay. And off to the races we went. And it just seemed, you know, I've, I've done so much living and so much running and so much always moving, moving, moving. It just felt like a time to sit down and stop doing and just start thinking about what I've done. You know, cause I'm always a person in motion that it was very nice just to, you know, it, it was sort of a trifecta uh, thing, you know, kind of, being at Burke Bluestone Manor, realizing during this time of quarantine, what a safe haven this is and how I really, isn't it odd that like the place that, as I say in the book, I spent so much time with my childhood saying, how do I get out of here? How do I get away from here? How do I be bigger, better, faster? You know, I, I don't want to be live, die, you know, grow, live and die here. And then I kind of come full circle during a very difficult time in the world, you know, in so many ways. And I come back to the safe haven, which is home, which is not only, you know, BSM, but my family and my mother and my parents and everything that sort of built the foundation for me to go out with the right tools to become the person I I dreamed about being. Yeah. So we, we've discussed it a little bit, but when you were put on pause, I feel like that's a big word now that we've read the book. When you were put on pause from filming, you said you realized it was more freedom than failure. So now that this rough year has passed, how do you feel about that chapter in your life? Which one? The, the, the chapter during pause? Pause. It was, it was such a growing period. You know, it's, uh, it's so easy in any phase of your life. And I think I talk about that in the book a lot is that you have to understand, as my mother said after Richard died, and I was just so distraught and just couldn't get past it. And, you know, we have a tendency to always fall into this negative, like, that's a, it's over, it's done, why, why me, why me? You know, it's very easy to get stuck. Um, you know, you have to realize no matter what you're doing in, in your life, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, as my Angelo says, you know, the rain always stops, you know, the thunderstorm always eventually stops, no matter how hard it is. And I just looked at it as a real opportunity to kind of, you know, look at myself and say, I'll be honest with you, there were many times in the book where I felt proud of myself. I felt sentimental. I felt sad. I felt like I remember the feelings It brought back a lot of those feelings. And I remember I really came away from it thinking, you know, you really did a good job, Dorinda, Dorinda Sincala, Dorinda Medley, Dorinda <laughs> Lynch, Dorinda, you know, you really <laughs> gave it your all, you know, and I think as a child, that was my mother always said, I'm the cheerleader in the group, like if something was going to happen, I was on the phone, Rooney, the, the, I, we used to have these old 
phone cords. You guys don't remember because mm-hmm. you're too young. Yeah. <laughs> and my dad used to work for the telephone company and I used to bring and I used to stretch them because I was always making plans. Like if my mother said, A, I added B, C, D, and E. I was always a planner and a doer. Yeah. I love So that. this really gave me the opportunity to sit and be a little still and reflect and kind of enjoy like the, the all the wonderful things and people and places and what I've been able to acquire, you know, and I, I'm proud of myself. I, and I don't think I've ever said that till 56 years old. I am proud of myself. Good for you. Totally. And I like how you sort of put in perspective how things have happened to you in like six year increments in oh, your yeah. life with, with Richard, with the show, you know, with kind of everything that's happened. Well, and I had so that it's... realization with Andy and Andy really was like, wow. <laughs> He's like, that's a moment we were on the phone. And I said, it's okay. Because I seem, it seems like every six years, I think I say in the book, the devil sits on my lap and says, we're changing it up. Okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, it's the time again. And it, I really do best under change. I don't know what it is about me. I would be great. God forbid. I hope I'm not ever part of it, but in war or something, because I do my breath. <laughs> oh that's the strike. It's like, I don't know what it is about me, but I am able, I'm a real, as Richard used to say to me, we're perfect together because I'm the map maker because Richard was very quiet and academic and thought through things. And he said, you're the executor and a map is nothing without the soldiers and the executors. And it's so true when you think about it. You know, I love, I used to say to people, when people come to me with business plans or ideas or how to do something. I'm like, okay, okay, but let's, let's move on. How are we going to do it? How are we going to execute it? Because in life, generally motherhood, marriage, jobs, you know, you got, you got to execute it, but you got to stop talking and start doing, you know what I mean? And I'm a real start doing kind of person. GI Dorinda can be the next six year (laughs) period. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I wanted to ask, we've seen in you know, in the last year that you have a really great friendship with Bethany still. And I think people always yes. kind of love seeing you two, you know, keeping up with each other. You were on her show, The Big Shot, which was fun to see. What do you think makes you guys click so well away from the Housewives setting? Well, it's very interesting. We've gotten actually closer after the housewives. You know, I think it really allowed our friendship to prosper. And we are, you know, she's got an incredible sense of humor. She's fun. She is very, uh, you know, loyal. And she just, we just relate to each other. We have a very good banter with each other. And I like that. You know, we we don't even talk about the housewives. We talk about the most minutiae stuff. And we have strangely so much in common, which I, you know, I don't think you can kind of, it took a while to get to that, you know, on the housewives, you're on such sort of mode of working on housewives and stuff that she just really enjoys sort of the same things that I enjoy. She's very sort of a, you know, this powerhouse that's very basic. She's a good mother. She loves to cook. She loves her home. She loves to go to Marshall's and TJ Maxx. She likes a good find. You know, she's just a real go-getter. I love women that are go-getters and have something to say about something. I um, 
I wrote down a quote, like a quote you wrote in the book. I like went back and looked to find it because you said when you were on Bethany's podcast, which is coincidental, but you said that you housewives didn't make you, you were a fully baked cake. You just gave them a slice. And I thought that was so, I loved that because I feel like it had so much meaning behind it. And I was like, wow, that's so true. Like you're just on it for a period of your life. And that's exactly. We we have to think of our lives as a, I think I talk about it in the show. I know I talk about it in the book, you know, like your life is, I I refer, as you know, on the show and I refer in my life and people constantly say, you know, my mother, Diane Sincala is such a huge part of my life. She was just here this morning and she, you know, she always talks about your life being a quilt and, you know, has many patches and, you know, maybe singularly this patch wasn't great. And then this patch was absolutely beautiful, but collectively it makes a beautiful quilt. And that's what you have to always remember is that, you know, you're, you're not, everything is perfect. I don't, you know, Hannah gets very upset with me sometimes because like you're being so negative. Like I said something yesterday and I'm not a negative person, but I kind of call it like it is, you know, someone, oh, I had some friends up this weekend of hers and they were like, well, things always work out. I'm like, well, not always. (laughs) Because sometimes they don't. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Take it from a woman that's 56. Not always. Okay. But the good news is that just means you have to go in a different direction. I don't believe in no. I think no is a, as Diane Sakala would say, is a harder form of yes. I believe that roadblocks are put there for you to be creative and think about uh, it to use it as a learning tool. I think that it's very dangerous to, you know, if you're, you, it's like, I, like I say, it's like reading a book. We think we know what's going to happen at the end of the book. And then you get to chapter 10, you're like, I never saw that coming. <laughs> and your life is sort of like that. You know, live your life chapter by chapter. Have an idea of what you see the macro picture look like, but stay focused on your micro work. You know what I mean? Because it's very important to be slow and steady. Just keep it moving forward and be your best advocate. If I were to talk to my younger self coming from Great Barrington, you know, without not a lot of money and no contacts and just sort of like taking that, you know, bonanza bus down to New York City thinking, this is it. You know, this is my moment and getting off in Penn station saying, this is it. This is my moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, wait a second. That's not how I had it going on in my mind. But you know, the dream was there and I had a bigger picture of myself. You know, I, I kind of had the canvas, I had the paints, but I had to figure out how to paint the picture. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. When you were sitting down to write the book, was there one, chapter of your life or I guess you know like one piece in the quilt like you would say that you were kind of most excited to share with people that you felt like it's hadn't so really seen the light of day question and there's and there's so you know each chapter was I really try to first of all I try to make the chapter like in my voice so people kind of thought I was speaking um I think that question is really it's an interesting question because there were different parts that I was differently felt about writing I I, I think for me, which was such a beautiful chapter to write, although I knew it internally until I expressed it externally, my, you know, my entrance into motherhood, I really wept when I wrote it. And it came so easily because I've been living that story for so long. And it's right. such an, you know, Hannah's so important to me and my mother's so important to me. And just that whole maternal line in my life is such a powerful thing. I'm really a mm-hmm. big believer in the invisible ring of maternal women. Um, and then I, so that was a, that was really a, such a beautiful chapter to write in the easiest one. 
And the second one that was really interesting to relive was Richard's death. Because I, although I talk about Richard's dying, Richard's death, you know, to actually remember that there was a process within that death. It's not like here, now I see him, now I don't. You know what I mean? Which is, you know, I had to go through the process and to actually get the courage up to write about it. It was the hardest part of my audio book to to read. You know, I just couldn't get through it. Yeah, because I choose not to live it because it's too dense. So I just look at it. Well, the here he was and now he's not. OK, let's keep it moving. All right. He's, you know what I mean? Yeah. And not only do you have to relive it, you're now like letting other people into something that's very personal. Well, I remember after the whole thing happened and not going to want to go morbid or anything because I, I don't like, you know, it's not about that. But, you know, it was I remember Hannah was just about 18 and people don't realize. And I would love one day to explore this and, you know, have some sort of helpline or chat place where I could talk to people, especially younger people that go through some kind of death. Life doesn't stop. The bills keep coming. The, you know, I remember right after Richard died, the funeral home called me up and said, what do you want him to wear? I'm like, really? Uh, Where? Where's he going? (laughs) It just all seemed, but life comes into that. And Hannah had to go to school. Everybody, you know, there's still food that needs to be made. You got to pay your electricity bill. Like the money, you think somehow you're going to be exempt from the minutia of life. But the minutia is there waiting for you. In the small sense and in the big sense. And I remember, and I couldn't cry during that period because I had to really breathe a, like, everything's okay. Everything's all right. We're going to be great. You know, so I remember Hannah said to me one day, uh, you know, God, just, I don't feel like, do you cry? And I said, Hannah, I can't cry because if I cry, then we're really in trouble. Right. (laughs) You know, I said, but you don't know. I go into the bathroom at night with a bottle of wine and bawl my eyes out. But then the next morning, operation normalized. Because, you know, you have to, that's life. And I think if you, you know, if we spoke about that more, we would be more, we would be left, less afraid to help people during that with the minutia. Right. Because it is the minutia that kind of scares you when, when people leave your life. Yeah. So for people who mostly know you from the show, what was your objective in writing this book? What did you want people to know? I wanted people to know Dorinda in all her different stages. How did the cake get baked? What were the ingredients? You know, just see it from the time, you know, you put, you sifted the flour in the bowl to finishing touches with the frosting. You know, life is really, it truly is a recipe. And and I think, you know, you got to, the ingredients you put into it are very important and they're, you know, reflective. And I think, you know, when I say in the book, you know, if you, if you want a hamburger, order a hamburger, you know, don't order a steak and be upset to get, you get a hamburger, you know, and it's so important to, to be mindful and, and see that process through. I'm hoping people got to know me a little better. I hope they, they kind of went through and said, God, I, I can't, I, I knew she did that, but I didn't really know she did that. I wanted to sort of fill in the blanks. I mean, I think people kind of had a blank coloring book of me generally of who I was. And I just wanted to sort of, you know, paint inside the lines a bit and, and make it a little more colorful. Totally. I, I'm curious, has Hannah or anyone else in your family read the book yet? And how do you feel Hannah about sharing huge, it? You know, Hannah's a huge writer. Uh, she is, you know, in school right now for writing and, and she did every chapter with me and helped me because I'm not a writer. I mean, the, the most ironic thing about this book is and I think Richard, I actually went to visit him yesterday. I thought you must be laughing your head off because Richard was a huge writer. 
a huge academic used to help Hannah so much with all her, because Hannah's a huge academic. And Hannah would be like, can you read through my, I'm like, no, I can't. I really, I'm not the right person. (laughs) I'm just, sorry. I can make you a meal. I can cuddle with you in bed. I can make sure you're safe, but I can't read that 20 page paper. That just ain't happening. Okay. I love that. I really, So, so, so Richard was the academic. So they were so bonded like that. And I said to Richard one day, you know, I am such a great storyteller. Like, I think I may be the world. I could make laundry sound interesting. I'm going to write a book. He was like, are you kidding me? You can't sit down for two minutes without getting distracted by a butterfly. I mean, you are a great, <laughs> great talker, very intelligent. Oh, you'd be a horrible writer. You know, so I have great stories to tell, but Hannah really helped me sit with those stories and formulate them and get them from here to paper. And it was so great because she was like, so what are you feeling? But well, I'm like, you know what I was feeling. Well, no, but the reader doesn't know what you're feeling. I'm like, well, I don't want to tell them. Right. Like she was asking (laughs) all the right questions like that you needed, like pulled from you. But that's also really special that she was part of that experience. Every day we had like, I would come and she'd be like, you need to come over. We need to review what you wrote in chapter six. I'm like, I'm not available today. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like homework. No, thanks. You're like, that's over. (laughs) It's it's, It's out there. (laughs) <laughs> no she was so that. instrumental because who doesn't know me better than my daughter right right so was there anything that you weren't sure you wanted to include or that now that you regret not including in the book well I think you know it's so funny I was watching Lala Kent right before her book got published she did this mm-hmm. funny uh, Instagram video where she was like, oh my God, everyone's going to be mad at me. And I, I wish I didn't write that, but I was writing. You start to make excuses for what? Yeah. And for me, the edit was very hard because I'm like, I would be mad at myself. I'd be like, I never said that. And Hannah's like, well, you can't argue with yourself, mom. I mean, this is, <laughs> you can argue with other people, but now you're actually arguing with yourself. Um, yeah. You know, I was very careful to, you know, make it about me and not sort of drag other people into it. Like, you know, my, my stepchildren and stuff, because Mm -hmm. that's their story to tell. Um, and you know, I think that, no, I don't think, you know, that I, it's not anything that I wouldn't, I'm pretty transparent. I'm not really ashamed of my life. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've done anything that horrifying that can't be put on paper or put me in jail. You know what I mean? (laughs) They're just big old fashioned mistakes, you know, fumbles, mishaps. Well, you did drag your stepson into it one time explaining that that's why the fish room was the fish room. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And the fish room, it's so funny. That fish room is, do you know that people were angry at me on social media for redoing the fish room, like oh. not just sort of fun, angry, like venom, venomously angry at me. Like, why would you do that? I'm like, because it was for a 12 year old. Okay. Also like, the were they going to come? The fish are in there. <laughs> people take things so seriously, like as if, because this show means so much to people that that book, that room, I feel like resonated with them, but well, they, they were they never going to come to your house. I mean, it was the whole thing. I'm, even when I was going through it, I'm like, wait a second. People realize that I made this house for my family 10 years <laughs> ago, not for the housewives in New York. 
Like I had small children in this home, you know, they're like, I can't believe that she has, you know, a twister game in the middle of the playroom. I'm like, well, because I had children here. Okay. Yeah. I also think people, we didn't necessarily get the full context of how kind of devastating the flooding was and how intensive the renovations were really flooding was, I mean, that was the worst year. I broke my rib. I had a million dollars the damage of flooding and the funny thing is because richard passed and i decided to move out of our townhouse on 63rd street which strangely was the same street as sonia's um (laughs) isn't that weird i live right near bill bouquet and then i moved back to my apartment and i'd taken everything i just couldn't cope so i'd taken everything and put it in my basement Mm -hmm. so when the flood happened literally all my years with Richard in the basement, which now I think about is such a blessing because I think God or whoever we believe in was like enough, you know, you're never going to do it. It all went down the road in like six huge dumpsters. Like I had no control in it. And it was just like, one thing I have learned is that water is like almost as bad as fire because it doesn't reveal itself for months. Mm -hmm. So the house really just flooded. I, I, I had like eight feet of water in my basement and then it went throughout the whole house. See, well, funny, you just said six dumpsters. So I don't know if that was like a, the six again. I was oh, like, oh, go. is that what again? Yeah. But I have to say that that part of the book was actually the most surprising to me because I didn't realize it was as bad as it was either. So by you explaining it, was closed it for eight months. Yeah, the house was closed for eight months seems traumatic. So I'm sorry that that happened. No, but, but you know I, what? I got to tell you something. It was Hannah and I say it all the time. First of all, I would have never, I don't miss any of the stuff that was in there. Things are things. Mm. This attachment to things is just mm-hmm. not real. And second of all, it was a real opportunity to, to take it away. Like I said to my mother at the time, you know what? I'm going to, this has been, we referred to this house, the tires, Richard in my house and Richard in my house. And I really was like, you know what? I'm going to make this my house. And it's no longer Richard's. I'm, Richard and Richard would be happy. Like this is not, and I put my take on it, you know, and it's just now my house. I wonder if that happened six years after Richard passed. Wouldn't that be weird? Very. Well, think you got to get it. like well, a, a numerologist or somebody in there. <laughs> I think it did happen six years after Richard passed. Well, that would just be freaky. Then I'm just going to have to run and go get my cross. And we're going to be <laughs> done with this. <laughs> we're going to have like a, a part two. That's just going to be Dorinda doing like an exorcism no, no, or something. Was, but now the house is, you know, it's pretty much basically the same house, but it's like, I just put my touches on it. And I, you know, I've, I've owned this house now. I owned it with Richard for six years and I've owned it myself on my own for 10. There you go. Maybe 10 is your new number. Can you imagine? (laughs) It's hard to believe that. When Richard passed, I really didn't think I could handle it because this house was really made for Richard and me. We were going to retire. We had it all figured out. The kids were, Ken was going to go to college and he was going to come up here right. And I was going to be Mrs. Bentley and garden and go to New York. And, you know, I had it all figured out. I was so in it. I was like, Dorinda Medley, you have figured this shit out. And then boom, it's like, nope, we're done with that. <laughs> See, it's funny because you say you're a planner, but they say you make a plan and God laughs. So it's okay. like full circle. I don't know, but <laughs> you have to laugh with them. Yes. Very true. Well, 
I certainly laughed and cried reading Make It Nice, which is available now. Dorinda, tell everyone where they can check out your book and any any final words. Well, anywhere books are sold, that's what I, I've been told it is. Anywhere books are sold. But of course, you can get at simonschuster.com and Amazon. And, you know, I just think everybody will really go on the journey with me. It's fun. Wow. Life is one big, one big recipe, you know, and I'm teaching you about the ingredients. Yes. And you need to make us your lasagna Completely. one day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> keep up, keep putting those fun, keep putting those fun uh, Instagrams up. They're so good. I laugh my, my ass. Off. Oh, we will. And you keep making TikToks. I always, I always <laughs> like seeing, seeing you having fun. <laughs> yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Durinda. you guys. Thanks, Thank Durinda. you. We made it nice. We, we made, made it, it nice. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow the show wherever you listen. You can follow us on Instagram at Bravo by Betches and just be cool. Don't be all like uncool. Mention It All is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales Pico. Editing by Sean Kilby. Social media by Dylan Hafer. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow at Bravo by Betches on Instagram and Twitter. Batches.